Welcome to Exit Point, a podcast about the advancement of base jumping and the exploration of its culture. I'm Matt Blank, producer and co-host. If you'd like to support this independent production, visit our Buy Me a Coffee link in the description and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. In this episode, I interview John Cox, who just set the world record for most base jumps in 24 hours. We explore how he achieved this record-breaking accomplishment, some ethics surrounding the developments he's made to the trail and LZ at the Perrine Bridge, and his controversial progression into base. Before meeting John, I was cautioned to watch out for him by a fair few people, as his reputation for taking a reckless approach to jumping was spreading on the street. But when I first encountered him and saw him toss a beautiful unpacked jump, followed by a smooth helicopter and a dead-on accurate swoop, I was left questioning if this was the same guy people had been warning me about, because his dubious reputation didn't fit his actual personality or skill set at all. Even he'll say he feels like a fraud of sorts, and as an educator, I was skeptical that showcasing his progression would offer any value to our community, or worse, would validate an unsustainable path to base. However, after speaking with him, I'm confident that this episode offers not only a great story about an incredible accomplishment, but some important lessons about base jumping. As an aside, during the episode, we cover what it means to be a base jumper, with John and I casually agreeing that he doesn't qualify as one. But I'd like to clarify my position by saying there is a difference between someone who base jumps, someone who is a base jumper, and someone who has a base number. It's clear that you have to jump all four objects to get a base number. And it's easy to say that anyone who is actively jumping off of any fixed object with a parachute is someone who base jumps. But I think neither are necessary for someone to be considered a base jumper. And if you listen until the end of the episode, you may find yourself, like me, calling John Cox a base jumper even though he doesn't. So without further ado, let's get Cox on the track. All right. So, uh, first let's start with, dude, where are we at right now? Um, what do you mean? Like in the base jumping career? Or? No, no. Like where are we physically? Oh, oh in, in Jocelyn's basement. <laughs> dude, the Jostle Hostel hosting the interview. Love it. Heck yeah. Um, I got to ask you, have you been getting a lot of props recently out at the bridge for your recent accomplishment? Um, yeah, yeah. There's been, um, quite a few base jumpers that I don't even know saying congratulations. And I'm like, Oh, thanks man. Like, yeah. Um, and then yeah, some people, some random passerbys, like they're like, Hey, are you Cox? Like, can I get a picture with you? And they're just from the community, just civilians, you know? And so from around town. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, fill us in, uh, for those that don't know, uh, what did you just do? So I, did the world record for most human powered base jumps off the prime bridge in 24 hours. And, uh, the previous records were set by miles Dasher and, uh, by, um, Danny, Whalen. Danny Wayland. Uh, and they were both in the sixties, 64, 65, yeah. I believe. Uh, what did you, uh, set down? So I got 102. <laughs> so not so much like beat the record, but shattered the record. Yeah. Dang, man. Um, all right. So let's get into that. Uh, first, what uh, motivated you to go after this record? Um, so ever since I was a kid, I always wanted to have a world record. I just always looked at the Guinness Book of World Records, like um, magazines and stuff. And uh, I just always wanted to 
like be in there, you know. And uh, when I was probably eight or nine, I I got my headset on doing the world record for most pogo pogo stick jumps. Um, and then I could only do it for like three hours, and the record was like a lot longer than that. <laughs> and so uh, I kind of gave up on it. And then um, when I moved here to Twin, before I even started base jumping, I uh, I saw. Well, I saw base jumpers and like, I've always wanted a base jump. I just didn't think I'd get into it anyways. So before I even started, I saw Miles Dasher's world record video, um, on YouTube. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, I'm, I'm going to do that. I think I can do that. So what about, uh, base, the base jumping world record seemed more approachable than training for pogo stick jumping. Cause like in my head, like training to do more pogo stick jumps would be a lot easier than like learning how to base jump. Yeah. Yeah. So that was when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it in a while. Um, but I just want to do something I, I loved, you know? And, uh, before I even got into base jumping, I knew I'd love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the training was definitely a lot different. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, recently I just talked to my wife and I was like, do you think there's any money in like seeing how many world records you get? Cause like, I was just looking at the pogo stick thing again. I was like, I think I could get that. Like, <laughs> it's only like eight hours of consecutive jumping, you know? Right. I'm an adult now. Like, uh -huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> feel like, like looking in back and being like, man, I wish I could play little league now. I'd kick some fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get into uh base jumping for a second. Uh, why uh why base jumping like you, you mentioned that you've always wanted to do it what enticed you to become a base jumper um mostly because i moved here um i never thought that i would be a base jumper just because um i thought you had to have 200 skydives um before you base jump and, and it's definitely recommended i'm not taking i'm not saying anything contrary to that um but um, I got into it with, with no skydives. Um, <laughs> well, I had two tandems, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely recommended. Like, I don't want to say anything contrary to that, but like, um, but yeah, I, uh, I just always wanted to, um, I mean, I love the two tandem skydives that I did as well. And I definitely want to get into that further down the road. So, uh, tell us about your progression then, if not through skydiving, then what did it look like learning how to base jump? Cause uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you learned almost all of it here at the bridge. Yeah, I did. Um, so basically I kind of got into it alone. Um, I had plenty of mentors, um, Miles, Shogo, Tom, Tom, um, JP, um, I had lots of mentors that kind of helped me along um but <clears throat> i basically just bought my own rig and uh and yeah just got going like i uh do a lot of maintenance i guess down in the landing area and uh and through that miles like dude anytime you want help just like let me know um you can sit in on my class like and so um 
Miles taught me a lot. So, yeah. So, like, uh, most of your education was observational. You're just, yeah. like, hanging out in the zone. You're, like, that surfer that just, like, hangs at the break watching everybody go until it's, like, your time. Yeah, yeah. I actually – so, before I even base jumped, um, I would hike down the trail and watch base jumpers land for hours on end. Um, and I watched, like, when they flared – um, when they didn't flare, um, when they hit hard and, uh, I learned through watching all of that, like, like kind of what to do and what not to do. Um, I also watched a bunch, a bunch of YouTube videos, probably 30 hours of YouTube videos just on like Friday freakouts and low turns and, um, all that stuff before I even thought about jumping, obviously. But, uh. But yeah, going into it, I, I kind of just, I feel like I understood the canopy and how it worked. Um, I guess I just have, um, I don't know, kind of an understanding of the canopy before I even jumped. Um, and I feel like a lot of people don't have that. Oh, definitely. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that like through skydiving, a lot of people's first, uh, exposure to canopy is when they're underneath it. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have a conceptual understanding of it through their like first jump course, but they don't actually get like that experience until they're underneath the canopy. And so the concepts like really don't connect for them. Like they, they think that they're like flying straight across the sky, but like actually they're flying, you know, slightly yeah. down as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe you can fill us in because this is something that uh, is a real problem for most people in air sports is learning experientially most people have to learn hard lessons. And it seems from what you're saying is that you were able to avoid a lot of these mistakes just by observing other people. Is there a secret to like connecting the dots there by like, is there a secret to looking at somebody, identifying a mistake, and then being able to avoid it personally? I don't know about a secret. I, I just feel like when you, when you just actually just sit back and like watch and like, just observe and like and focus on like what's happening like 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 when they were hitting hard like I didn't understand why they were hitting hard until I had to like do a YouTube video like like when you turn low why does that like I don't know I guess I understood the concept of like the canopy diving um when you turn um but I don't know um, I don't know if there's a secret. It's just, I think repetition, you know, like, um, gotcha. So you're like picking up patterns. You're like seeing something happen over and over again. And then eventually like trying to get the concept behind it and then observing it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's fast forward a little bit. Take us through your first jump because that's a big leap from complete observation no personal canopy experience to base jumping. Mm-hmm. What was that first jump like? Um, I mean, it's just a PCA. Um, um, I <clears throat> I got it pounded into my head that like don't turn at all um, when you're coming in, um, even a little bit. So um, I was going for the bushes and I didn't turn at all, and I landed like right off the path in the bushes. Um, <clears throat> But I mean, it was good. Like I, I landed fine. Like 
I set it up. Um, and I mean, it was fun. It was kind of uh, a letdown, honestly. Really? Yeah, yeah. For I was expecting, I was expecting a, a free fall, like a rush, uh, like falling, like super cool, you know? And then the PCA, like it opened automatically. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, like I wanted to like, accelerate I more. Wanted, yeah i wanted to fall i wanted to like i guess i was thinking skydiving or something but but uh but yeah i mean it was still fun it was super fun it was just um i guess like i was thinking yeah more free fall and then all of a sudden it was open and i didn't even fall that much i'm like oh like that was still fun but i was expecting a lot more you know uh-huh well i mean you know somebody saying that you might be a base jumper you know yeah. that, that really exemplifies uh kind of working underneath your total mental load mm-hmm. you know a lot of people get to the bridge in that first jump just stepping off the rail is is overloading mm-hmm. you know to the point where like they can't uh really even remember what happened after that uh now you're sitting here telling me that with no skydiving experience jumping off the bridge for the first time you're like no 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 i want to take it deeper man yeah so okay um where from there because i met you like at least several hundred jumps later maybe even a thousand jumps later uh when i saw you doing tards off the bridge and helicopters and swooping in like how did you go from pca off the bridge to doing what i saw you do Basically, um, I learned how to do unpacks, um, and that's kind of all, I mean, that's not all I do, but basically, um, I just love the, I love the canopy. Um, I love flying. So I, I mean, I did probably 300 tards until I got pretty comfortable with trying to start swooping. Um, and then I, I know you're supposed to like do like a 90. Well, I didn't know this at the time. (laughs) Um, I didn't know you're supposed to start swooping with like a 90 and then a 180. I just saw everybody doing a 180. So I was like, okay, like let's do this. So I started 300 feet high, you know, with a swoop in like 180. And I slowly over 200 jumps, probably I slowly, no over 400 jumps no i think i got my first good swoop around 600 jumps i think uh yeah so like i basically progressively like lowered down and down and swooped closer and closer to the ground because i was super scared of of going in um and with good reason um so i slowly just kept going lower and lower until until i was basically going too low um uh chuma was like hey that's a that's a little too low like you're you're punching it at the end and you're supposed to you need to like get to the point where you're leveling out and then you flare like and you're flaring to not hit the ground and i'm like oh okay like and so just with little pointers from shogo like everybody around um they kind of taught me like what to do and what not to do and uh helped me a lot in in swooping anyways and like um i don't know helicopters like i just love spinning i guess all of the skydivers have all that experience underneath the canopy and you probably you guys you'd, do that you think the time. so you'd think so but actually not 
You know, okay. most people don't do a helicopter until they get to base jumping. Um, and so your progression is, is pretty interesting because you've taken two of the major canopy components that people don't usually get in skydiving before they get to base jumping. And you've just trained them specifically over several hundred jumps in a very specific area, which man, I, I gotta say that's, that's pretty interesting. You know, um, I think most people hearing this would say like, wow, this guy, like, you know, he's learning to swoop on base jumping. Like most people learn how to swoop, you know, thousands of feet over the ground, but, uh, you've also learned how to do it in a very specific place, working your way incrementally down, which most people don't do anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, most people don't get those two things before they get to base. They have to learn them once they're under a base canopy. Uh, the common suggestion is that they learn to do them in the sky because there's more space and altitude and all of this. Um, but as you might have noticed, it's a lot easier to learn those things when you're flying proximal mm -hmm. to objects. Yeah. Otherwise, like you'd have no real reference points. Mm -hmm. And so like where you're building all of those checkpoints and markers, like where the trees look, how all this stuff looks, you know, in the skydiving environment, it's just two dimensional. Mm -hmm. And so like you're literally just looking at the ground getting bigger and trying to time all of this stuff based on altitudes, maybe like some scientific tools, but all of that's a little slow mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, so you learn these two things, uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, how many jumps do you have now? Um, 1,412. And in the span of how long? Uh, a year and five months. Okay. So I got to say that that might also be another record. We'd have to double check. And if anyone has any, uh, idea um, if like anyone's done more jumps than that in a year, please hit us up because like at this point, I'm willing to say that that is the most amount of jumps that anyone's done in that amount of time. Yeah. So I, I talked to miles, um, and he said that to his knowledge, he had the most in a year. And this was last year when I was starting just cause I was like, Oh, like if you have a record of a year, like I'd like to beat that too. <laughs> no, no, it's not like that. But um, no, no, I, I just love jumping. Like I, I love climbing, honestly. Climbing up the canyon is uh, um, not as fun as jumping, but that's kind of why I got so many jumps is because I love it. Um, so Miles told me he had 736, I believe, I'm not sure, um, in a year. Um, and so... A year from today, I have about 1,100. Damn. Okay, so before we move on from your initial skydive or your initial base jumping progression, um, and one thing seems to be painfully obvious at this point that currency is a large factor in your survival, right? Like you were jumping every single day. Um, why would you not recommend your progression? Because when we started this, you said like, ah, oh, you know, 200 skydives is definitely recommended. And I'm, you know, also recommending that. Was there something that happened along the way that uh, led you to believe that maybe uh, that was the correct path or a, a better path? So just in my experience at the bridge, um, seeing lots and lots of lots and lots of base jumpers, um, there's a lot of low turns um there's a lot of just things that just oh make me cringe and i don't i don't want to see it um 
not that I don't want to see it. I just, it hurts to watch it happen. Um, and I don't, I don't know if, exa if it's exactly like the understanding of the canopy or just, I don't know what it is. Um, but like that's that skydiving experience, that, um, that wing experience of flying, um, in something, I don't want to say skydiving or paragliding or whatever is less dangerous, but I mean, kind of is, um, but like having that experience and flying, um, away from the pressure of being a few hundred feet off the ground, um, to be able to land safely. Um, a lot of people freeze up, uh, they don't know what to do. Um, it's just a certain mindset. I feel like to, to do it safely the way that, that I did it. Um, so you're um, noticing a lot of panic in the other people that you're watching over the years or over the year yeah. of anybody. I, I could say pretty confidently that you spent the most amount of time in the last year at the bridge. Like not even the instructors are out there every day. Yeah. So arguably through your progression, you saw more jumpers in that time span than anybody else. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Okay. And so like I, I would have, <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I was thinking that you were going to say something like, Oh, initially, like initially I thought this was, uh, going to be easy. And then there was some mistakes that I made personally that led me to believe that like maybe skydiving was the thing, but <laughs> no, so like... I, I actually haven't like made any, I mean, so going back to when I was swooping, um, I got really comfortable um, and I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper than I should have because nobody told me, nobody told me, I didn't ask um, um, like how deep and like, I didn't understand that you needed to. So I heard people say you need to level out without touching anything, you know, like that's, yeah. the, that's the sweet spot. <clears throat> but I kept but I kept seeing people drag their feet, you know, and like, and leveling out, I wasn't getting to the deck ground. Time. Yeah, dude. Yeah. To, I, I know to, what you're talking about. To drag my feet. Yeah. Let's get that. Deck and time. so, <laughs> and so I, I wanted to get low enough to drag my feet. <laughs> and so I was getting too low. Um, and there was one specific time that I, I mean, I didn't hit that hard, but like I definitely hit and then pop back up. Um, but I hit my butt and like, so, um, so like just that like one time I'm like, oh, like let's take it back. Like, so I need to like, like listen more and like, but that was the one thing just in swooping that like I learned the hard way. I mean, I guess it wasn't even that bad. I haven't broken any bones or, or anything. Sprained anything? No. Dang. 1400 jumps. Not a, not a scratch. Nope. Wow. All right. Well, flex move on anybody that's like, Hey, <laughs> this guy's doing it wrong. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, like I, I don't know how to say this. I feel like almost like a fraud kind of because yeah. I just do unpacked, you know, like I don't have any other objects except for this bridge and one bridge in Mexico that I did last week. Um, so like I'm not even technically a real base jumper. So I feel I don't know, like what would technically make you a base jumper? I don't know. You have to have all the objects, right? That's true. Yeah. You get all the objects that like 
gives you the base number though i bet a lot of people identify as base jumpers who never get there i yeah. mean there's a ton of european jumpers that only do cliffs oh, okay there's yeah. a ton of people that uh you know when they get into the sport they they'd rather not take the risk of some of the solid objects and so all they do is the bridge you know? oh, okay um but yeah i guess technically you're correct like in order to uh be a quote-unquote base jumper you would need to do all the objects yeah 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 and and i'm i'm like I'm uh I'm getting there. Like I just I'm I feel I don't know if conservative is the right word. I just <laughs> I just heard so many stories and so many bad stories of people going in and people getting hurt and cliff strikes and all that stuff. I have had like a close friend um uh, cliff strike and like broke his leg and stuff. And so like just hearing all the stories, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to get like a solid, well, like 300 jumps, like on heading before I do a cliff. And then Shogo was like, Hey, you can do a cliff that has enough overhang. Even if you do have a 180, you're fine. I'm like, okay, like I can do that. Like, and so I'm just, I don't want to get hurt and I don't want to like die. Obviously nobody yeah. does, but, um, but yeah, like this year, I think I'm going to go to Moab and, but yeah. Okay. Well, if, uh, if I'm learning anything from your progression, I'm picking up two major pieces. Uh, one of them is focus on one task at a time. And that's something that a lot of people uh, don't do because there's so many fun things to do in air sports. Mm -hmm. So you got a little wingsuiting here, a little free flying there, a little swooping here, a little, you know, whatever here. And then you try and put all those pieces together versus like you focused on one particular aspect of base jumping alone, mm -hmm. which was the canopy flight. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm picking up from your progression is incremental. Mm -hmm. Like I know very, I know nobody, nobody. I don't think anybody in history has done that many unpacks off the bridge to learn a canopy flight, you know, pattern. Mm -hmm. And so I can say that even though like your progression objectively uh, violates a lot of the quote unquote rules that we like put down for uh, this progression. There are still some really good points in there that I think people can take home, mm -hmm. which is incremental progression, focus on one aspect at a time. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. When I, when I started, um, I mean that first year that I started, I started in like May of last year. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, so like that November, um, they were like, "You gonna come with the Turkey Boogie? Like, come to Moab?" And I'm like, "No, like I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Like, I'm gonna do like at least a thousand jumps, get my canopy time, like my canopy skills, like honed before I go jump a cliff where I don't know what's going on, you know." And this certain person's like, "That's that's stupid, man. Like a thousand jumps before you do a cliff, like that's unheard of." And I was like, "I just like I just want to be like." I just want to yeah hone that one skill like the canopy and like I still don't have it figured out like I mean better than a lot I guess but like um I was just realizing there's still a lot to learn totally. um, but yeah and on your front man I mean <laughs> dude your your entire career in base jumping is unheard of every single aspect of this <laughs> so you know all right so let's uh let's get back into the record okay um get us into the training methodology for the record okay so 
So I run um, marathons. Um, I guess I've just done like four or five marathons. But um, so I have that background of running marathons. Um, So I know how to, so I've trained and stuff and I know how to like peak and how to like train and how to fuel. Fueling is, is key, especially with something like this. Um, but basically I just started training when I started jumping, honestly, um, climbing out every single time. I think I've rode the boat out maybe five times. And that was after I got a thousand jumps. So were you running marathons alongside the base jumping or was there a specific like, uh, numbers that you're trying to hit day over day to try and get to a point where this record was approachable? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I talked to Miles beforehand and I was like, Hey, like how many jumps were you doing? Like, how did you train for this? You know? And he's like, I hit the gym and I was jumping every day and, uh, I'm like, cool. Like, okay. Like, and so then I just kind of put together a training plan, um, on paper that looks similar to a training plan for say a hundred miler, um, running. So every mile would be a one jump. So like basically I started, well, I started just getting a base. A base is when you're just um, comfortable running, a, like, say, 50 miles a week, you know, um, 40 miles a week. Um, just having that base and jumping, um, I did, I don't know, uh, maybe at least 30 or 40 jumps a week. Um, and that was like a solid base i guess um and were you doing those in blocks or were you doing those like parsed out over the week um last year last year i was just like i wasn't working on like actually training training like i didn't have a training program set up yet i was just trying to get in numbers so i was just trying to get as many not as many i was working as well um so i'd come out and do three or four jumps in the morning um, and then after work, I'd come and do a few more maybe. Um, but, um, I mean, maybe five a day was like kind of on average. And then some weekend I do like 20. And then I thought, oh, that was a lot, you know, 20 jumps. And then like I did, I had to have done 20 jumps in a day, at least 15, 20 times, you know, training for the world record. But so I got my base basically, and then I started, I wrote out a training program um, of say like 40 jumps a week, and then 50 jumps a week, and then 35 jumps a week, and then jumped back up to 60, and then 70 jumps a week. And then I got to like 80 jumps um, in a week to where I felt like comfortable um, that I was going to reach 100 anyways. Um, but 80 jumps a week and a hundred jumps in a day is still a huge gap. What made you confident that you could do that? So in training for, and I don't want to sound experienced in any way of training, um, for running. Um, but in running usually, um, you do at least the miles in a week that you want to do for a race or in a day. So like, just knowing that my body could do 
80 jumps in a week, um, semi comfortably, um, I figured that I could push my body enough to, to get that hundred. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I mean, basically I got up to a hundred and then, um, I mean, not a hundred, sorry, 80. And then I worked down like 60, 40, 30. And then like the week of, I did like five jumps, you know? So rest week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had, so it was a month before when I started tapering. Um, but yeah, I, I rested a lot and that first, first hike out, like I felt like I was floating cause I had never hiked out without a rig. And so <laughs> I was like, this is cheating, dude. Like I don't have any rig on, like I don't have anything. I'm just hiking. So on that front, uh, let's get into the rules of this because a lot of people, uh, have heard about the record, but they don't actually know what's entailed. Right. So you mentioned that you don't have to hike your rig out. What do you have to do to qualify for the record? What do you not have to do? Basically, all you have to do is hike out every time human powered. So it doesn't matter about your rigs. Um, doesn't matter how your rigs get out. It doesn't matter how, um, yeah, how anything else happens. You have to climb out human powered every time, um, to jump. So like, uh, so yeah, basically I had a boat going and taking my rigs out and shuttling them up and packing them. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just grab a snack down at the bottom and hike out and jump again and just same thing over and over again while eating. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a tent right, um, on the South side of the bridge, like the, I guess the the little footbridge right across the bridge. Um, I had a little, I had tents set up with food and drinks and, uh, my wife would be like, what do you want? You know? And I was like, <laughs> I grabbed a, a PB and J or whatever, you know, just like we had a table full of, of a bunch of food just so I could, um, choose what I wanted. Cause a lot of the time when you're doing exercise like that, you don't want to eat anything. And so there are times I was like, I don't want anything. Um, just give me a goo, like a gel, like for running. Um, they're just, and then, yeah, I mean, so yeah, fueling is, is key, is definitely key to someone like this. Cause your body has to have all of the nutrients it needs to be able to, cause like you can push your body further than you'd think. But without that food, um, the first time I ever did 20 jumps in a day, I didn't eat anything at all the, the whole day. Um, I just drank a ton of water. And by the time I got to 20 jumps, I was like passing out. Like my body couldn't do it because like I was passing out because of the fatigue and the lack of nutrients. Um, and so I learned that day, like, I was like, Hey, like nutrients is like, heat, <laughs> you know, like you have to eat your body needs, um, fuel, you know, for this type of. Okay. Thing. So I'm picking up a little bit of the flow here. Uh, boats are taking your rigs out. You got to climb out every single time, grab a little fuel at the bottom. Uh, what about getting back to the bridge and jumping? Like I know that miles, I think rode a bicycle across. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think Miles is kind of the the guy who started 
this whole thing, this yeah. whole, how many chat times can we jump off in a day? <laughs> um, and I mean, that's awesome. Like just pushing yourself is like, most people don't want to do that, you know? Um, but, uh, it's super cool. Um, anyways, so yeah, the, so he had a bike, um, and then Danny Whalen had a bike as well. I, to my knowledge, I, I'm pretty sure he did as well. Anyways. So yeah, gets to the top of the bridge gear up and then I hiked up those stairs and then rode a bike out to the middle and, uh, and jumped. Um, um, yeah. So, and then Nicole Senegal, um, she has the world, I guess had the world record for most in 12 hours. Um, um, and she did that as well with the bike. Gotcha. Okay. So it is human powered across the board, but you get uh, foot human power up the. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, when Nicole did it, she didn't know that basically she submitted all the evidence and the Guinness Book of World Records was like, hey, like you can't do that. You can't ride a bike. That That's not human power. And then she went back and forth. She was like, yes, it is human powered. Like riding a bike is human power there's no engine <laughs> yeah, on a bike it's, and so they they are like okay that's fine like you know because she just saw miles do it and i'm assuming anyways so so yeah so the, i like checked in with guinness and i was like hey like can i ride a bike out to the middle and they're like yeah that's fine and so yeah what was it like dealing with the guinness people i did they have to come out to actually evaluate every bit of the the flow um no so it was either pay them 1200 or 12,000, sorry, 12,000, um, to have one person come out or a couple of people come out and like witness the whole thing and watch, um, or to collect all the evidence myself. And so that's the route that I took is, um, collecting all of myself. So I had to have, and I still haven't submitted everything, um, just cause it's a pain in the butt because they want, um, they want separate videos sent in, um, a gigabyte at a time but it's been super long because i i submitted the request a, like be over a year before i attempted it um of like hey i'm gonna do this for record like um and like they've been good like um it takes them a while to respond um but other than that like because it, it takes them a while because i didn't pay for the upgraded yeah. Fast response. Yeah, fast track. Um, yeah. yeah. I remember. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. We didn't pay for that for any of our uh, air sports things either. We're like, dude, we're spending enough money on this already. Uh -huh. like, I don't care. Next year's fine. <laughs> yep. Okay. So um, let's get back to the flow. Can you take us through maybe like the beginning, middle and end for this? Like, what did it feel like as you were starting? What did it feel like towards jump number 50? And then like at the, you know, 22, 23 hour mark, how, how are you feeling then? When I first started, I was feeling super anxious, super nervous, kind of freaking out, honestly, because I woke up that morning um, at seven in the morning. I couldn't sleep like I'm like so anxious and so excited, you know, um, to do this that I couldn't sleep. So um and then even nights prior, I couldn't sleep. So I was already running on not much sleep. Um, but I was super nervous to begin with. Um, kind of freaking out. Um, 
once I actually jumped though, like then I kind of like, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. All I gotta do is hike up and jump, hike up and jump. Like that's all I gotta do. I don't have to worry about anything else. Um, so, um, the first 20 jumps probably were just like amazing. I was like, yeah, like flying up the mountain. Like my first lap time was nine minutes, something seconds. And my wife was like, slow down. And I'm like, I'm going slow. Like I'm purposely let it holding back. Like I'm not going fast. And they're like, you're going way too fast. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to slow down. Yeah. I feel and, good. And so yeah. like, um, I mean, yeah, like, uh, I was hitting, I don't know, 11, 12 minute laps for a while. Um, and that's from jump to jump. Yeah. Yeah. Jump to jump. Um, yeah, that time is like when I jump off, um, not when I land, but as I jump, um, anyways, so yeah, around, well, I remember the first two or three times I climbed up, I'm like climbing up the, the crack, you know, yep. to the left of where the mostly alcove. everybody yeah. goes. Um, I was climbing up that and I just felt like weightless. Like I, it's kind of like a, a runner's high kind of, I think just cause I hadn't jumped in so long. I hadn't climbed out in so long. My legs were as, as fresh as could be. I didn't have a pack on. Um, so I was feeling like oh, amazing. Um, just floating up the wall. Like I was like, this is so cool. Um, anyways, so probably around 30 jumps, I started, um, feeling it a little, yeah. um, getting tired. Um, and then, well, on that note, as you get tired, is anybody double checking the safety? Like, you know, when you're gearing up, getting ready, you know, there's a lot that goes into a base jump, right? Like mm -hmm. making sure that your equipment is dialed, making sure the conditions are right, making sure like all that is, is in line. Is, was there anyone like double checking you as you started to fatigue? Yeah, I had like gear checks and then anybody packing. Um, when they had a break, they would check all of the rigs lined up for me to jump. Like, so the gear is continuously being checked. Um, and then, so it was, it was checked before it got laid down, um, for me to step it in, step into it. Um, so like, I didn't do a gear check, like right after I put it on, but before, um, every time. And then after quite a few times as well. But, uh, yeah, as I got tired, um, I was still like mentally there. Um, and I, I would still like every jump, I think I'd like look at my leg straps, feel my chest strap just to know everything's like there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I had people checking, um, and yeah, I went really oh, well. smoothly yeah so uh you mentioned packing uh though uh before you said that uh, most of your jumps are unpacked did you still stick with that deployment methodology throughout or did you switch it up a little bit so going into it was that was the hardest that was the thing i was most worried about is the openings because uh I just, I just have an osp well i have several rigs but basically all of my rigs open hard um, and so even if it's just a second, second and a half, like it was a, like if it was handheld and I right away, then it wasn't too bad anyway. So just the openings, I 
dreaded. Like, I was like, there's no way my body can take that many openings. Like, I, I don't want to either. And so, um, from the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to do PCAs. And so that's what I did. Like the entire time I had my brother, uh, Michael, and then Sam from uh, a good, my best friend from Florida, um, PCA me the entire time. Like two guys did 102 PCAs. I was like, dude, you got a world record by yourself. Like nobody's ever done that many PCAs. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and um, anyways, so they were there like the entire time. They had gloves on. Like, um, and so, yeah, like my, my goal, my plan going into it was do like, um, I don't know, do like 80 jumps or so like PCA and then like do quite a few like um, stowed. But then by that point, I was so tired, so wasted. My body was just like I was struggling. Um, that I was like, screw that! Like I'm, I'm just gonna just keep doing PCAs. And so, yeah, I did PCAs for every single jump. So from uh, 30 when you started to get tired to 80 when you were struggling, what was happening mentally, physically to you? Like, was it the hikes? Was it the openings? Was it just the the stress of? like having to do that many base jumps in a row what was going on so it's called like blowing up like in the running world like when you blow up you uh you hit a wall and like your body doesn't want to keep going like so i i think i kind of blew up around 40 or 50 um and it it was a struggle to get like there i think around 50 or 60 jumps i did a 16 minute lap and i'm like dude that is unacceptable like i was like that is way too slow like i can't be doing that like um and i was like struggling and i was like nervous that i wasn't gonna get 100 um but basically my body's telling me i i shouldn't do anymore um and i'm like just pushing through and um and so I hit like, um, yeah, like basically to 60 was, it was really hard. Like I'm from 50, 40 to 60, like it was rough. Like I was like struggling. Um, then at 65, um, I uh, stopped for like a 30, 40 minute break and got an, an infusion um gym oh, state yeah. infusion um they were sponsoring me so um millie is her name she actually was down below and uh hooking me up with an infusion in both arms and i was getting a massage at the same time <laughs> nice and so uh anyways got a massage got an infusion and then i kept going i i was just uh i was eager to just it was hard just to sit there you know but that was the plan so i, I stuck to it but uh Anyways, so yeah, I got hydrated through that and I was staying hydrated really well the whole time. Um, Just out of a uh, pure, like, I have to ask this because like so many people are going to be like hearing that and being like, all right, what else did he put in his body? <laughs> Dude, was there, was there anything other than like solid, like, you know, food that you could buy from a grocery store and, uh, elements that are like available, um, over the counter? <laughs> 
that got in there. <laughs> no. So, no, the, the infusion was like, I asked Guinness Book of World Records about it. I was like, can I get an infusion? They were like, as long as it's legal, you know, as long as it's legal, like you can. And so, no, I, I never took any substances or anything. It was all, um, yeah, just supplements and like, um, I guess I had an energy drink toward the end. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, so yeah, it was all, there was nothing in there. Okay. Um, okay. I had plenty of people. If you need some crack, if you need some cocaine. I, got <laughs> I know, you, bro. right, dude? This community, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Thanks, man," but I think I'm good. Like, um, it was super funny though. It was just, anyways. So yeah, um, sixty-five jumps. Um, after that, got the massage, got the infusion. Um, kept going. Um, it like right after that my legs were so cold they like they were warmed up you know and so i was like fresh and then my legs got so cold like laying there and getting a massage that like it took me two jumps to actually get going again like i was i couldn't walk i could barely walk after that like 65th jump after the break um i was like struggling um and then once i did like two jumps then i like my my legs got warmed up um and then got back into the groove and then um from 70 70 jumps to like 90 maybe i don't know if that's accurate but somewhere around there um is when i was like feeling great like i was like i could do this for days because you already like, beat the record right yeah yeah so you're on the downhill at mm -hmm. that point yeah it's and like, like i was I, I was telling people, I was like, I could do this for days. Like, 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 I'm just like, like, cause at the beginning I was purposely mentally like putting my hands on my knees, um, trying to save my legs. Um, because like I wanted my upper body to be as sore as my lower body, you know, cause I wanted to use my arms as much as I could because I knew my legs were what was taking it. And, uh, around 70 or 80 jumps i realized that i wasn't using my hands anymore and my legs were just like just going like <laughs> and i was like this is awesome like i mean it was still rough i was still like um i kept telling myself i am a machine i feel no pain i am <laughs> a machine i feel no pain i said that probably a hundred times like i just kept saying it over and over again and uh did you have any other mantras along the way? Um, uh, quite a few times I said, Todo lo que puedo hacer en Cristo que me fortalece, which is like, I can do everything in, everything through Christ who strengthens me. Mostly it was just like, I am a machine. I feel no pain. Like, I said that so many times. And I kept telling people, I was like, I just keep saying that. I just keep telling myself that. Like, I just got to keep going. Like, um, Anyways, so yeah, like it was, it was rough. It was, uh, like I've never put myself through like that much pain and that much like, um, like agony. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It was just, uh, like hours and hours on end of just, just going. Like I, I'm, uh, I guess I'm like pretty... I'm pretty good at pushing myself um 
we had this uh, saying growing up in uh, wrestling. Um, I wrestled in high school. And every single practice, we would say this quote. Um, as a team, we would say, most men go until they begin to tire. Good men go until they think they're going to collapse. But the very best knows that the mind tires before the body and push themselves further and further beyond all limits. And only when these limits are shattered can the attainable be reached. And I said that so many times through wrestling that, like, it stuck with me. Um, like, like you can push yourself so much further than you think you can. Um, like mentally, like, um, your mind tires so fast. Um, everybody's mind does. Um, but just knowing that you could push through it, um, even if you don't want to, that you can, um, gave me like the strength and the the willpower um to just keep going like yeah because i told people i was like i am not gonna stop at 65 i'm not gonna stop at whatever i'm not gonna stop at 100 like if i can walk if i can crawl up that mountain like i'm gonna do it like the thing i was worried about most is passing out on the cliff that was the thing i was worried about most going into it is because um they're around 80 90 jumps um was where my body was getting dizzy like i was getting so dizzy that i didn't know where i was um i was hiking with tom tom one time and and he's like dude it, it's this way like go this way and i'm like oh freak like because i was going off the trail like there are multiple times where i looked looked down and i didn't know where i was like I've climbed that thing a thousand times. Like I know where I am. Like yeah. I always go the same trail. And um, there were times I looked down and I didn't know where I was. And I'm like, what the crap? Like, and so I had to like look up and look around. And I'm like, oh, there's the trail. Let's talk about this trail for a second. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just to give some background here, uh, the trail is a marked trail for everybody, base jumpers and other folks alike. So it's not just a base jumper trail. It's, it's something that, um, is like listed. Uh, but wait, that, wait, wait, are we talking about the same trail? Yeah. We're talking about the, uh, the, cl the, the climb out. Yeah. Yeah. It's listed. Yeah, oh, for okay. sure. For sure. Um, I mean the, the hike out is also listed, but okay. the, the climb out is, is also on, um, Google maps and, okay. and all these other things. Um, but it's seen a lot of change over the years. Yeah. Uh, initially, uh, there was ropes over that cliff section. Uh, but then, uh, in recent years, I think some kids threw some fireworks in there and burned down the trees. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to my knowledge, there was a, a rope from the tree and then the tree got so old and dead, I think. Well, yeah. So old and dead that like people didn't trust it anymore. So I think somebody cut it down. Okay. Um, but there was a fire there too. Yeah, yeah, there was a fire as well. Okay, so like that whole area got completely changed. At which point, uh, somebody decided to put like a, a cable in. Was was that you? Yeah, that was okay. me. So you put the cable in in place of the rope. Yeah, yeah. So I, I like, I talked to a lot of people before I did it because I didn't want to like upset anybody. Um, so I, I talked to Miles and and Jogo and. Uh, Chuma and kind of 
everybody around, you know, um, um, before I did it. Um, anyways, I put the cable in. It got taken down. I put it up again. It got taken down. So I was like, okay, I'm going to leave it down, you know. Right. And so for the record itself, you didn't have the advantage of having that rope line or that cable to like kind of shepherd you through that that climb section. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that. Okay. So let's talk about this for a second because I think uh, it's it's a matter of, of, uh, of importance and some like debate. Uh, what do you think about the ethics of having that cable there? So me personally, um, are we talking about just in general? Yeah, in general. So me personally, like, like I don't need it. I don't think anyone really, well, I mean, there are some old timers that like, like I couldn't get up without that thing. That was awesome. Like, thank you. But, um, I know a lot of people saying like, don't put anchors in, like, like you're littering, you know, like. I don't know that much about bass, but I feel like there's a lot of anchors and metal um, like exit points, you know, um, that are built. And I feel like this is no different. Like, I feel like it's just add safety, especially to that part where there's a lot of exposure. Um, it adds safety and some security um, to anybody using it. And I know a lot of people that just loved it. Um, a lot of people said, thank you. Like, that's so awesome that you did that. Um, and some people, like, old-timers, um, like, oh, I've been jumping for 15 years. I, we, we don't need that. I'm like, yeah, we don't need it. Yeah. Like, we don't need to mow the beach. We don't need to mow the landing area. We don't need this bridge above our heads. Like, but it 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 makes every it makes life easier. Like, that's kind of my outlook on it. Like, it makes the climb easier. It makes it a little safer. But. Yeah, so... Uh, a couple of points in there that I'd like to pick at first, like it's littering. Uh, huh. is, is this exactly pristine rock out here that we're trying to protect for its natural beauty? Uh, no, not really. Like, I mean, there's a like, you know, a uh, thousand ton steel bridge across the canyon right below it. Uh -huh. So like adding a couple of bolts and a piece of cable doesn't seem like it's even scratching the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I, when I put that cable in, I, I tried to make it out of the way to where it wouldn't be in anybody's way. Cause I, I told everybody like, like, if it's in your way, like, tell me, I don't want it to be in anybody's way. Like, if you don't want to use it, that's great. Like, don't use it. But if it's in your way, tell me, I'll move it. I'll move an anchor. I'll move whatever to make it so it's not in your way. Cause like, I don't want it to be in anybody's way. And so I feel like if you don't want to use it, then don't use it. Um, but I purposely made it sturdy and strong so it wouldn't break. And then secondarily, like we're looking at the argument of like, we don't need it. And really what that person is saying is I don't need it, mm -hmm. which could be said of like so many things out there, you know, like some of us are comfortable climbing in the 513 grade. And so like, yeah, dude, we don't need the Via Ferrata out like in Switzerland, mm -hmm. but without that Via Ferrata, probably like 90% of the community wouldn't get to that exit point. Mm -hmm. And man, those exist all over Europe, all over everywhere. Like the Eiger, for instance, probably not jumpable by 90% of the people without the cable that connects the cliff face to the mushroom formation, mm -hmm. right? And so like, 
for somebody to come through and say like, we don't need that. It's like, all right, man, like where are you drawing the line? Are you going mm-hmm. around the world and taking out every single cable, every single ladder, every single, because like we're base jumpers and we don't need that. <laughs> like it, it almost seems ridiculous to me. Yeah. Especially like when we look at the bridge as the prime learning environment in the world. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, how hard do you want to make it on people who are just trying to be in a, uh, an educational environment to try and focus on this one task? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I had a lot of students like Miles and Chuma and a lot of students um, just say, hey, thank you like so much for putting that cable up. Like we love it. Like it's so nice to like be able to just like hold on to something when you're at that exposure. Like um and like I, I see the argument, like um had somebody tell me it gives people a false sense of a false sense of security. Um climbing up that part and then the right the part right above it is a little sketchy too, you know? And so they're like, if they can get up that part, then they can get stuck at that part, you know? And like you don't know, like what? <laughs> yeah. So like I mean, I understand, but like I don't agree with it. But I've kind of come to the point where I'm just like, okay, the cable is like just not going to exist. Like it, it just can't. Well, it could if if we maybe like get the greater community to like keep an eye out for this. Let's let's deal with these last two arguments too because I think they're hilarious. First of all, like that thing was solid as hell, uh-huh. right? Like false sense of security. I, I disagree. That was actual security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, how what gauge cable was that? Uh. Honestly, I don't know. Um, I actually found it down in the canyon by the other bridge. So you recycled it? Yeah. Get out of here. Okay, yeah. So like back to the original argument of littering. Like, so you've picked up trash from another area. Yeah. And repurposed it in something useful. And as I recall, it was like half inch. Yeah. Thick. It was It was half an inch or bigger. It's, it's thick. Yeah. Super thick. So, and through eye bolts that you like drilled into the, into yeah. the rock. Drilled so, and glued. Yeah. So now we're talking about like, you know, in the anchor points themselves, like 3000 pounds plus the Mm -hmm. cable itself is like upwards of 10. Like I'd say that's pretty secure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the cable even 50. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Dude. And the the last argument that I always hear from people that are like taking stuff down like this is they, they want to, um, they want to maintain the wildness, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't Disneyland bro. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm talking specifically about one person that I'm not going to like call out on this podcast, but if you know, you know, because they posted it on, on social media. And I guess like to retort to that, man, we've got a visitor center with like base jumping merchandise. We've got like base jumping memorabilia and photos in the local restaurants. Like the hotels give base jumper discounts. There are tour buses that come up to let people out specifically to take pictures of base jumpers. There is not one time that you can be here on a weekend packing your stuff and not have at least three tourists come up to you and ask you a hundred questions about what's going on. There are people all over the bridge, lining the bridge. Like if this were ever an argument for this is Disneyland, like that would be it. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, like <laughs> like the, the cat's out of the bag on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're going to come out to Moab and then like nail in rebar to something that like people have been climbing for years without it, then all right, I, you, you got, you got yourself a point. Mm-hmm. 
but like out here, come on, right? We, yeah, yeah. All right. So um, capping this one off, uh, if the cable goes up, it's the opinion of, of this person here, Matt Blank, that like y'all should just like take a step back and ask yourself like, what are you what are you really trying to accomplish taking it down? Mm-hmm. Um, furthermore, uh, what does it cost to put it back up? Um, well, it depends. Uh, if I were to buy that cable, it would be a, a lot. Like that cable is super expensive if I were to buy it. Um, but just for all the parts and stuff, uh, probably a hundred bucks or so. Um, like to put it up with bolts and like glue and drill bits. And I mean, I actually bought a drill just for that. So that was a bit more, but. But a hundred bucks is what you're looking for. Something like that. Yeah. If I were to put it up again. Okay. So we're posting a link on this uh, particular um, uh, podcast. We'll have a, a buy me a coffee link that you can get to anytime. And if you just put in the notes, this is for the cable, then we'll uh, appropriate it that way. And we'll also put a GoFundMe link here uh, just for this kind of maintenance. And I got to tell you, like, you know, I've witnessed Cox doing way more than just this. I mean, dude, I've seen you like mowing the landing area and like keeping things nice out there. Just out of curiosity, why do you give a fuck? So ever since forever, I've always wanted to make places better um like whatever i can do to make it better like make it easier make it funner make it like i made a rope swing no no i made a diving board um at a lake out in idaho pack saddle lake um out of like driggs idaho um just because i wanted to make it better i wanted to give people a diving board like there's no lake with a diving board the forest service took it down a couple years later (laughs) but like I just like to like make places better. Like, I mean, like when I first started jumping, like I was landing in five feet of grass. Like I don't, I don't want to land in five feet of grass. Like if I can make it nice, like I'd love to, you know, like the beach, like I love having a mode cause it's like nice. It's like your backyard, like right there on the beach. It's so nice. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like play making places better. Like, um, miles has had a dream for the longest time like to uh make the whole landing area into like actual grass you know like and like i think that would be legit and i've been like trying to plan it um but i don't know i don't know if it'll ever happen just because some people don't like making it into an lz like they don't like i don't know they don't like doing that sort of thing, I guess. And like, I don't know. So it's just kind of tough. Um, I mean, I would definitely want to do the grass. Um, I've been wanting to do it for a while. Um, uh, yeah, there's just certain variables that come into play, like that make it uh, unlikely, I guess, just because I mean, base jumpers, there are some that don't want improvement. They don't want to ruin nature like it's just natural you know they want it that way and like i don't know it's just tough (laughs) yeah but the same ones are still packing on the grass up top right yeah yeah you know it's true taking advantage of the roads it's like dude like just understand where you are you know yeah yeah like this is a 
this is a manicured cityscape. This isn't the wilderness. Yeah. And it can be improved while maintaining all of the natural beauty around it. It's uh-huh. not like we're like, you know, putting down packing mats at the bottom or something. Like yeah. that would be ugly as hell. But like a nice grass, oh God, that'd be sick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um heard on that front. Thank you for what you do. Let's get back to the record and the end of it. Right? Yeah, yeah. We stopped at about 80, 90 jumps. What happens at 100 to 102? Okay, so um, I might get a little emotional here. Uh, I'll try to hold it together. Um, just thinking about it, like, brings me back. Okay, so uh, around uh, 95 or so, I think, um, I was, like, struggling hardcore, like, I was uh, barely able to make it up the mountain. Um, And then around 97, 98, 99, 100, I was, yeah, like going to pass out. Um, So I had to like, I had to slow down um, with the speed of how fast I was hiking at that point. I had, um, one of my best friends, chance Lund, he's an ultra marathoner. He's super fast. He's a coach. Um, he, uh, trains, uh, running. Like he, he actually helped me out a lot in, um, training for the world record. He was hiking with me every time. Um, okay. So, um, he kind of had my back if I did pass out. I was on the cliff, um, so dizzy. I was on the verge of passing out the entire time. Um, I'd get up, um, stumble across the wall, like I'm like stumbling. Um, I get suited up, and then the bike right out to the middle is like relaxing. Um, I got to rest. Um, and then the jump as well. Like I got to just rest for 30 seconds when I flew down. Um, but, uh, that 99, I think, um, I think it was 99. The climb out was where I was struggling the most. Like I was, it took me 40 minutes, I think, or 50 minutes, I think 40 minutes to do that one, one loop. Cause I was so dizzy. Um, on the verge of passing out the entire time. Um, once I, um, once I got to the top on that 99 jump, I suited up and then I was riding the bike out to the middle and I started hyperventilating. Um, uh, I was like hyperventilating. I couldn't breathe. I, I was trying to, I was trying to like, relax and like take deep breaths and but I couldn't breathe I was like seriously like like just couldn't breathe and um so I stop on the bridge and I'm just like holding onto the railing um so I don't hit the ground um and it took um I don't know probably five minutes or something maybe just sitting there just to like just to like be able to ride the bike out to the middle. They're like, do you want to walk? I'm like, no, the bike's easier. Like I just do one pedal and I can go a super long way. Um, 
So uh, I told him, I was like, keep people off the bridge. I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, anyways, so get out to the to the bridge, get on the platform, and I'm still dizzy. I'm like, uh, I just about sat down on the platform because I was like too dizzy to jump. You know, like that's the thing I was worried about most, like passing out when I'm in the air or passing out on the cliff. So I was like, I can't jump until I'm like with it enough to to land, you know? And so I waited and waited a while and then I'm like, like I waited long enough to where I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like, and uh, that was jump 99, that jump right there. And I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to make it back up. Like, anyways, uh, so I jumped and then on the ground, I'm like, I don't know if I can do it again. Like, I don't know if I can keep going. Just because I didn't know if I could, uh, I didn't know if I could actually make it up in time. I had, I think, 40 minutes left. Um, and I didn't know if I could hold it together and, like, actually get to the top of the mountain hyperventilating and uh, falling apart like that. And uh, I get to the bottom and I'm like, I need something. I need something to like take this edge off and uh um pepsi sponsored me and i had a bunch of energy drinks it's like energy drink like right now so i down an energy drink and uh and i down like most of it and then on the hike out somebody was carrying it and right then i started feeling a lot better like i was still struggling um but it took me back to like jump 98, you know, where I was still able to get up the mountain. Um, I was still dizzy, but I could breathe again and I could, um, I could get up the mountain. Um, and so that climb out, I started feeling a lot better. And then I'm like, dude, we still got time for, for two more. Like, I was like, let's do this. And they're like, okay, like, whatever and so i uh geared up and i as i got to the top they were like this one this is your um prime man prime man um prime man press sponsored me um bought me a parachute um shout out to them they uh, he is awesome um anyways so um uh so yeah, they wanted to give me that parachute because that was my last jump, a hundred. And uh, I'm like, no, no, not that parachute. I'm not done yet. Like, give me any other one. And so I put on a different one. You go jump. I get up to 101. They're like trying to hand me that parachute. I'm like, I don't want that one. I'm not done yet. Like, I still got time for one more. I still got 20 minutes. I can do this. And uh, so, yeah, uh, by that time, uh, Miles showed up um at around the 100 and i was like dude so good to see you like i gave him a hug i was like thanks for coming man he's like yeah heck yeah man and uh it was so good to just like see him there supporting me like it was awesome um but uh anyways i got to as i came up for 101 everybody was going out on the bridge there were I don't know, 
300, maybe not 300, maybe 150. I don't know. It's hard to count. Yeah, we'll call. But we'll the call bridge that, was just yeah. full of people and yeah. everybody was shoved over and like cheering me on. And, um, and I rode out and then jumped and then, uh, I was thinking I was done and I like took it off and ran and, um, got up for one more and like, it was, it was cool. I waited for my, my best friend, Sam to gear up and get ready. I actually helped him with his, uh, tar, like getting it prepped so we could jump at the same time. Um, cause he flew in from Florida just for this. And he was the one PCA me along with my brother. Um, but yeah. Um, so I jumped with, with Sam at the very last jump and it was just, uh, it was awesome. Like I waited to almost the very last second. Um, after I landed the horn for the end of the 7 PM came on and, and it was just so cool. Like, uh, just having all the base jumpers, all my friends, um, there at the bottom, like it was just a party. Like everybody just swarmed me and like, it was so emotional. Like I, uh, right as I landed, well, before I jumped, Tom, Tom was like, can I come with you? I was like, no, dude, I want you at the bottom. I want you to be there when I land. And he's like, okay. So he gets down at the bottom and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to catch John. I'm going to catch John. Like he, he wants me to catch him. And I was like, I didn't say that, but <laughs> that's fine. Like <laughs> I just wanted him down there at the bottom to celebrate. Anyways. So Tom, Tom standing there and I come in and then I like pounce off the ground and I jump into his arms. <laughs> and it was like, I don't know if you've seen that video. Yeah. Yeah. It was super cool video. <laughs> I love it. Like, um, and then he sees my wife and he like hands me to my wife and, <laughs> and then, uh, I just cry and just go around and give everybody hugs. And like, it was just, it was super cool. It was super emotional and super, um, like something I'm never going to remember, never going to forget. Like, uh, I mean, and like family, like my whole family is there. Um, friends, multiple people that stayed up for 24 hours. My mother-in-law, she stayed up for 24 hours, um, just helping being there. Like my mom, she couldn't miss a jump. She had to watch every single jump. Um, my wife was like, go up on the boat and look at the packing, packing area. Look at how they're packing. Like, look at how careful they are. And she's like, no, I'll miss a jump. <laughs> and like, she couldn't do that. Like she stayed up every, all night just watching in a lawn chair, just filming every jump, like 98, 99. Like, just um, anyways. So just a, a thanks to like my family and friends that were there uh um mason was another one that just was there through whatever i needed like he was uh he was right there like he was like dude whatever you need like i got you like if you need me to pack 24 hours i will like like whatever you need like i'm there and i'm like sweet man thanks like it was just there's so many so many people like that that just uh were there like regardless like like if you need help like like just tell me like tell me when to be there tell me like what you need and i'll do it and just having the support of base jumpers and friends and family um with me the entire time like uh it was awesome like it's so cool to have all those people have your back um going through uh, one of the hardest times of my life, you know? Yeah. 
takes a village, right? Yeah. And uh, I also know that there was uh, a separate mission for the the jumps themselves. Like you collected funds for not only the operation of the the event, but also uh, to donate to other other elements, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, the whole <clears throat> mission from the very beginning was to. Um, I was thinking. I was like, "What should I raise money for?" Miles was like, "Do for kids. Like, kids is always the best thing, you know." And uh, my wife was like, "Do it for uh, Idaho Search and Rescue and the, the SORT team." And uh, I was like, "The SORT team." I was like, "Yeah, like they're always saving us, you know." I read a Facebook post a while back when Jester was uh, on the cliffside, and uh, it was a picture of him on the cliff, and then like uh, it was from the sheriff's office or whatever of uh rescuing him and uh, i saw all these comments like who's paying for this like does he pay for that like who pays for this like base jumpers are like giving us a bad name or i guess giving base jumpers a bad name anyways so i was like i just wanted to give back like i was like i know search and rescue saves us so many times um when we're stuck underneath the bridge or whatever hanging by the canopy on a bolt um and i just wanted to give back to the community so the the fundraiser in general was for um for them idaho search and rescue and the sort team um and uh yeah so that was kind of the mission um i am not a i'm not good at paperwork i'm not good at fundraising apparently um i'm not because uh i did it everything um mostly by myself like all of the fundraising um all the planning um i mean there's my help my wife helped me and my, my, my brother helped me a lot but uh but with the fundraising aspect like i did most of it by myself and so i didn't do super well um just because people didn't want to donate and that's fine um well let's say this dude that's a pretty solid uh place to put our money um along with the other links that we're gonna put in here let's uh if you can send us a link for um the donation for yeah. the search and rescue and we'll see if we can do this after the fact yeah yeah so basically um i i put into it like 4500 bucks of my own money i got in donations around two grand um actually 45 was before the actual event started so it was more like 50 five thousand probably um and then i i raised two grand um so i'm still planning on donating that two grand that i raised even though the 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 main goal was to all the proceeds right go to them but i was like I didn't make anything. anything. Like, <laughs> I I suck at like I'm not gonna do a fundraiser and not give them anything. So basically, I'm uh yeah. But but yeah, that'd be that'd be awesome. Okay, sweet. So we'll have a link for uh, beautification and improvements to the Perrine Bridge and Landing <laughs> Area, and we'll also have a link so that you can support uh, the local search and rescue, which has done wonders for us in other areas. For instance, like the Lauterbrunn and Valley would definitely we would definitely not have the relationship that we do with that area without supporting the search and rescue and same with moab every year we support search and rescue and they continue to support us and the town sees that we're trying to offset 
the cost um, of our rescues. And believe it or not, like there are a lot of rescues in uh, the Perrine Bridge area, um, helicopters, sheriffs, boats. And, you know, it, you might not hear about them because it's just people, you know, getting broken up. Uh, and, you know, usually those don't make, make the news. So we'll definitely uh, put those links. So if anyone's feeling the urge to like, you know, give our community a little boost, uh, they can. Um, I also know, and I just want to poke at this story too, that you were recognized by the search and rescue team in the Perrine area uh, for something that you did. Can you fill us in on that story? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was back when I was just going. Um, I think I was the only jumper that day. Um, I think it was pretty cold. I don't remember exactly when it was, but uh, I was jumping all day. I was just doing reps, and there were quite a few uh, um, tourists watching. And uh, I'm, like, walking out on the bridge, and I see somebody climb over the rail. I'm like... I don't see a helmet and then she jumps and I'm like that's not flat and stable I was like crap and then I uh, hit the water um and then I yelled at the tourist call 911 I run out there and I jump I don't know what I, I wasn't really thinking I was just naturally like instinctively getting them I guess um um so I jump landed on the beach got the the rescue boat uh, paddle it out there and and drug her into the boat um so sad to to witness that firsthand um um anyways i was chicken up um for a couple weeks probably just uh thinking about closing her eyes you know um just like but yeah i mean i pulled her out i uh waited for search and rescue to show up and and take her but uh that was definitely a a crazy experience somebody is like dude that's crazy like how to just call 911 and i wouldn't have even jumped you know and uh i was like i don't i wasn't thinking i was just instinctively like i was thinking i could save her or something like i mean she was done but 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 yeah and so search and rescue uh gave you a commendation for um recovering the body yeah yeah they uh they um so i rode the boat out with them actually that was the only time i actually rode the boat out um rode the boat out with them to talk to them about the world record and about um um, me like trying to raise money for them and they were like yeah that's a great idea and so i got contact info and then they messaged me and they're like we want to recognize you for doing what you did and i'm like yeah that's fine like and so they gave me a certificate or whatever recognizing me for for pulling the body out. So just to um, give some context here, and I think it's it's important for us to cover this topic, uh, suicide has become much, much more prevalent uh, at the bridge in these uh, like recent years. I think the statistic I heard recently was two a week. Um, and that puts a lot of us in the position of, of watching this happen. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, if you see somebody that's climbing over the rail and they don't have a rig on, say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to find the words at that time, but like say anything. And if you give that person just a moment of pause, sometimes you'll be able to like reach them. Yeah. yeah. Um, secondarily, like a lot of people would say like, well, why do you, why do you jump down? But here's another important aspect that I've witnessed. 
Um, if no one recovers the body in time, then it can get dragged under mm-hmm. and never recovered. And I've seen the fallout from that and like the family distraught because they can't find their person. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that it's worth risking your life. There's no reason to go like quicker than you would normally. But if you can jump down there, you're usually the first person that can get to that, uh, to that body. And, uh, also worth mentioning that like telling people to call 911 is the correct move that way. Like the sheriff's boats in route while you're, uh, trying to get to them. Um, not saying that anyone needs to go out of their way that wouldn't normally, I know it's really traumatic, you know, just to witness something like this, but if you've got the capacity, you got the skills, then please try and help. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, that was, I tell my family, I was like, that's one of the worst parts about base jumping. Honestly, is like, I've witnessed two suicides just in the year and a half that I've been jumping and, and it's not cool. Like, I mean, I just, it just it sucks to be to know that somebody's in that position like that state of mind to where like that's the only option like yeah i mean it's rough yeah well uh also a good reminder to talk to your friends and family you know uh the life you could save would be you know might be right really close to you yeah you know um let's uh let's move on to a couple of other things that i'd like to ask you one is if anyone's looking at trying to break this record or any other type of record uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records, do you have any advice for them? Um, I mean, if you're trying to break this one specifically, come talk to me. Like, I'll I'll walk you through it. Like, I'll I'll help you out. Like, you can use my rigs. Um, <laughs> um it is a uh, mentally, it's it's tough. It's super tough um, going to a place that you've never been before, um, pushing your body harder than you've ever pushed it before, um, finding your own limits, um, whatever those may be. Um, but I mean, just there's a lot of world records, I think, that are probably pretty easy to break. Honestly, the pogo stick thing, I think they'd be super <laughs> easy. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh but yeah, um, training, like, um, do training and like, do your homework, um, on anything, um, do, yeah, do your homework and do training, like train to where you're comfortable enough to where, you know, you can like have a chance, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, okay. Um, moving on, do you have any advice for anyone that's getting into base jumping, you've witnessed and observed quite a lot over the last year. Um, my only advice that I can think of right off the top of my head is like, if you're not good under pressure, if you freeze up in um, difficult places, like if if you freeze up um, making choices when you're in a sketchy position or whatever, like it, base jumping just isn't for you. Like just don't, don't do it, please. Because I've seen firsthand, like p- 
people freeze and nothing good can come of that. Like, um, if you're not mentally there, mentally will like able to make tough decisions in an instant, just don't do it. I don't know. I, that's the only thing I can really think of, honestly. I think that's a really actually important one. Um, and I, 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 I totally agree. You know, there are other things that can be done to try and train that mentality and base jumping is definitely not one of them because the cost is just way too high. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I can, I was one of those people. Like I was indecisive, definitely had trouble with uh, making decisions under pressure. Um, and I got into sports and extreme sports to try and rewire that side. But, you know, I started with, you know, playing, you know, team sports you know, where like the worst that could happen is you get tackled, you know, yeah, yeah. and then moving on to sports where, you know, you're in a closed loop so that like, you know, a bad decision only results in you falling off the climb and that's okay. Um, but man, I, I totally agree with you. By the time you get to base jumping, uh, it should not be a problem to make a calculated, educated, aggressive decision with your life on the line. Yeah, for sure. Sweet. Um, well, closing things out is, is there anything that we haven't covered about, uh, yourself, the base jumping progression that you've taken the world record, um, that you want to chat about before we kind of tie this thing up? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's about it. All right. Then I got to close out by asking you this, man, what does it feel like to have a dream as a kid and then finally accomplish it. Cause that is a long range goal that you finally like ticked off the list. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels good. Like, especially this one in particular, um, having, I can't count how many, um, there were two or three that flat out said I was stupid <laughs> for even trying. Like that's not possible. 100 jumps in a day that is not possible like the world record is 64 like why would you even say that you're going for 100 like that's stupid like and it's not possible like like i just like having people like that just made me want to do it even more like um there are a few people that said it's not possible dude like and i'm like okay like i mean like you do you like I mean, I didn't know if it was possible, honestly, like going into it. I didn't know if I could actually do it. Um, and that's what I told people. I was like, I'm going for a hundred. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if I'll do it, but that's what I'm going for. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just feels fulfilling, like great. Like, honestly, I kind of want to like do it again, but for 48 hours instead of 24, like <laughs> I, I know it sounds stupid, but like. I, I want to, I want to like push my body to like new limits and like, um, I want to see like, I don't know what my body can actually do. Cause like, I think, I think if I was given more time, I think I could have kept going. Um, I don't know how much further, but like, it would be cool to find out. And oftentimes uh, a lot of these goals seem strange or crazy to people, but from my perspective where I'm sitting, um, I wouldn't have thought it was possible either. 
And so like, I think like regardless of what context or what, you know, uh, activity you're doing, if, if you take something that is regarded as impossible and prove that it's possible, that has value just across the board. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, thank you very much for telling the story. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate it as well. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts about what you've just heard, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound engineer and co-producer. We love you and we couldn't do this without you. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast, visit our website, exitpointpodcast.com. Until next time, take care. And for everyone jumping out there, remember, best practices have less to do with how you did your first jump than how you plan on doing your last. To close this episode, John Cox would like us to thank the following folks who are not mentioned in the podcast for supporting him in becoming a world record holder. Please forgive me if I mess up the pronunciation of a name or two. Mark Ortiz, Braden Butler, Natalie Eckstein, Marissa Astill, Drew Garcia, O'Shea Abney, Tom Tom Tom, Dustin Griffith, Josie Hansen, Jim McGovern, Kyle Miller, The Blackburns, Carl Dandleton, Mike Truck, Aubrey Clement, Rich Cravens, Kathy Marchant, Deanna and Alex Sutter, Mike Telford, Teresa Vaughn, Jay Geiger, Mike Chuma, Mason Barth, Jeremy Crawford, Christian Schwendeman, Nathan Olmstead, Chance Lund, Hunter Ostler, Idaho Milk Products, and Premier Auto Group. Thank you. Good night.